You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. An epiphany is a moment of sudden revelation or insight. If your life is tailspinning, an epiphany can save you. Hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. I have found that one of the most powerful and enjoyable ways to grow, expand, and enrich our lives is to read great books. And our sponsor, Audible, has made that easy and fun for you by offering you an audiobook of your choice absolutely free that you can download at their website, www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. You get to choose the book that you want from more than 180,000 titles, and you get access for a month to all of Audible services absolutely free. When you get something of value from this podcast, go to iTunes Look for the title, Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Leave a brief review and a rating for the show. A great way to pay this forward and to create more visibility and share this with more people. Keep your comments coming about what you're enjoying and also what you'd like to see in the show going forward. Send your comments to loseclub at gmail.com. That's L-O-U-S-C-L-U-B at gmail.com. Today's guest is a man who was tailspinning. He had a life-changing, a life-saving epiphany. Now, he helps others change their stories and change their lives before they need an epiphany. He's an award-winning international speaker, He's the author of two books, The Connection Effect, An Entrepreneur's Playbook to Unlocking the Present Moment, and the second book, Eluding Reality, a memoir about drugs, psych wards, and recovery. He has been featured on CBS, NBC, and Forbes. He specializes in helping people connect to what is essential in their lives. You are in for some valuable learning and inspiration from Gordy Bufton. Gordy, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I love it, Lewis. Thank you so much for having me on. And I love your principle of changing your story and changing your life, as that is what I have had to do multiple, multiple times over the course of my life. So happy to share my experience and insights. That's why you're an ideal guest for this show, where my friend, when I saw your uh, information about your story, I said, yep, he will inspire a lot of people. Let's begin with where you were born. I was born in Montreal, Canada. 
couple of years ago now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by the way, guests, he's a he's a precocious child. He's only three, and <laughs> I I just turned three decades actually a couple of weeks ago. So uh, yeah, I no, it's I I'm super grateful. I was born in Canada and still have my Canadian passport, as it looks like you do as well, Lewis. I have uh, two passports, American. I was born in the States. And, by the way, my first uh, residence in Canada for 12 years was in Montreal. What part of Montreal are you from? Kirkland? Yeah. I know it. Yeah, no, Montreal. I like to say Montreal is a little slice of Europe in North America. It's an amazing place. I love what you just said because when I arrived there, that's exactly what I felt. I said, you know, because of the French culture, this has a very European feeling. At the same time, it is so hip and North American, and it had the best of everything. Yeah, it's it's definitely a fun fun city, and you can eat and drink your way through that city very easily. And I, I love the cobblestone pavers and the narrow streets, and just it's a... I, I love it in the winter as well when it's minus like 4,000 degrees. I did for the first couple of winters because it was a novelty, and then I didn't. <laughs> anyway, who would you say influenced you the most when you were a child? That's an easy answer. My my dad was always always my idol and role model growing up. He was, he was a banker at the Royal Bank of Canada, and... Just for me, like my dad was like, "Oh my gosh, this is like this old guy that spends time with me that seems like always know everything, and I would always ask questions and I would do whatever I could to hang out with my dad growing up, whether it was going to play hockey on a Friday night or on the weekends or going skiing. I used to love skiing with my dad and my uncles at Mont Tremble, a little bit north of Montreal, and just being eight years old, riding the ski list, listening to their conversations, and not even at that point, I didn't have the confidence to in, in to actually have the conversations with them. But I was always listening and trying to pick up what I could, just being in in the space and in the conversation. That happens to be one of the most wonderful stories about a son father relationship that I have heard in a long time. Was there anything specific about his view of the world that was a major influence on you? Yeah, so one of a story that I, I vividly remember is whenever we were driving somewhere, he would always go, hey, Gordy, what do you think that license plate means? And it would be, you know, eight heart or eight H-E-R and then eight or something. And I'd be, I don't know what it means, Dad. Okay, do you think it might spell out heart or, you know, infinite heart? And just like really, so I would always be looking at license plates or he'd be like, hey, look at the license plate from California growing up in Georgia. Or he, he was always asking me questions that allowed me to view the world in a very observant way. And that is that is something I've, I've taken on into my life. And it was always, I always... And it wasn't necessarily in a competitive way, but I'm a, I'm a highly competitive person. But it was it was always kind of like, okay, how can I 
not get one over on my dad, but how can I find something before he does and then point it out to him? And and he would always tell me, Gordy, you got to get up really early to pull one over on me before, like, I see something. And just that way of thinking always had me on my toes, always looking and observing. And he would call out people and, you know, he taught me people watching and just which is so important in today's day and age because there's so much information coming to us and being able to, as, as you know, Lewis, growing up in the streets of New York, like we have to observe to keep ourselves safe. Exactly. But what I'm hearing that I really love is that your dad, he planted the seed of intense curiosity and he gave you the mindset for creativity. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was definitely that, that curiosity of, you know, what's the next thing or what does that mean or how does that interact with, with us and in, in our life? And, and, and I've, I spent a lot of time looking back because I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs and their children over the last basically almost decade and really dove into what are some of the things my dad taught me and just really that way of viewing the world and being curious, right? Like, all a perfect example. I was out for for dinner with my girlfriend, and the table we were at dessert, and there was a table really close by, and they were medical students, and you could tell they were like super interested in this medical their conversation. And I was having this conversation with my girlfriend, but I could hear the conversation coming in, and it was something that really piqued my interest, and. Then I kind of turn to him and I go, hey, I know you guys are in medical school, but you've done, I can tell you're world class at what you do. You've learned so much. You're talking about women after they get pregnant, they have low back pain. Can you please elaborate on that? And so he, he goes into very high level stuff and I'm able to ask questions that I can get the top three things to do in a 10 minute conversation versus it's taken him five years to learn that. And it's mm. that's something which I, I learned from my dad of that curiosity and that ability to ask those very specific questions. I love that. But well, you're familiar with the the truth. The it's a statement that a lot of people made that the quality of your life is dependent on the quality of your questions. Yeah, and, and this is why I I'm excited to, to be on your podcast because the, the questions are really introspective and we one of the big things is we have to be able to ask ourselves these questions i think on a regular basis or have whether it's a coach or a mentor to be able to ask these questions and get stumped sometimes like to not have an answer is an okay thing yeah i agree i absolutely agree um if you can trust the process once you've asked the great question your unconscious will go to work to find an answer. Now, did you have a childhood dream of what you wanted to be when you grew up? When I was a child, I was a avid golfer. I always had the dream of wanting to be a professional golfer and win the Masters Golf Tournament in Augusta, Georgia. That was always the pinnacle. And practicing, making that three-footer on the last hole to win the Masters was, was my dream growing up. I take it you play today? Play might be a little bit of an overstatement. I try I really don't play much, maybe 
four or five times a year. Like I really uh, don't play much, but it's such a it's such an interesting and fascinating sport because I think it's one of the hardest sports to get good at and remain good. You could go out shoot one day, shoot seventy five, and the next day you shoot ninety, like the next day. So uh, I. I, I love the sport, but it just takes so much time. At the at the point of my life where I am now, I don't get the opportunity or create the opportunity to play much. Did you pursue it for a while when you were younger? Yeah, so I won my state championship my junior year of high school, and then I played a little bit in college. I didn't last so, very long in college, though. So, <laughs> so <laughs> what, is a different story. What would you say took you away from that? Girls and drugs. Okay. Well, these are good things, you see. Uh, <laughs> in, in moderation, not in excess. <laughs> well, I think if we spoke to Hunter S. Thompson at some point, he would disagree with you. <laughs> oh, man. One of my favorite ever pieces of content is a letter that Hunter S. Thompson wrote to somebody who is asking him for life advice. And just like the overall principle is Hunter goes, who am I to offer you life advice? I have no idea of the game that you're playing. Mm. And for, for me to offer you life advice would be the most egotistical thing because you're playing a completely different game. So I don't, I don't know that game. And what for me, what it really does is gets me to quit giving advice and really shift my mindset around how I show up with the people who mentor me and the people I mentor of really sharing from an experience. My experience is X, Y, Z versus mm -hmm. you need to do this and you need to do that, which is. That that piece, I'm I'm happy to send it along so you can put it in the show notes. But it's it's a mind blowing piece of just how. And he, I want to say he was 23 or 24 when Hunter wrote it. Yeah, definitely send it to me. I love that. And so you're very transparent about your life. That at some point you became derailed and you began a downward spiral. Can you describe that? And key events or moments in that spiral? Sure. So one of the original key moments was breaking up with my first girlfriend at 17. And uh, I had just won my state championship. Uh, I, was, I was on top of the world looking to go play collegiate golf. And I really didn't know how to deal with or have the life skills and personal development to deal with that breakup. You know, I was heartbroken. I felt lonely. I was like, man, nobody is going to love me again. How am I ever going to get another girlfriend? You know, what goes on in a 17-year-old's mind when they've the world is like three inches wide? And so I, I started smoking pot, and that allowed me to forget about what was going on. And it allowed me to forget about the breakup. It allowed me to forget what was going on in my life. And I just dove all into this and it really put my life on a on a drastically different trajectory which up until that point I was the star student I was a star golfer I had everything going for me and this one situation really derailed me so fast forward 3 years and I am Sitting in jail, looking around the room, all I see are orange and green jumpsuits. 
So why were you sitting in jail? Because I thought it would be a brilliant idea to hand a police officer a, a fake ID. And I thought my my storytelling abilities and my charm and my good wit could talk myself out of this situation, and it didn't. <laughs> well, tell us why you felt, why you were in a position to give false ID. Yeah, so I had been pulled over, and uh, I had a couple of days earlier had been kicked out of my parents' house for pot, and I was... I was 19 years old. My life, I was using cocaine. I was de- dealing. My life was like, it was a mess. It was it was just a total mess. And when my parents kicked me out of the house, they found this pot on me. And my mom was calling the police. And I'm like, I got to run. So I ran out the door. And a couple hours later, my drug dealer goes, there's a warrant out for your arrest. You should probably turn yourself in. <laughs> and in my 19-year-old mind, it's like, oh, I can't do that. And so when I got pulled over, I thought there was a warrant out for my arrest. Well, I came to find out there was no warrant for my arrest. And the police officer goes, had you just hand me your regular ID, you would have had a couple of traffic tickets and you would have gone on your merry way. But waking up in jail, it really reframed my life. And that day that I woke up in jail was my 20th birthday. Hmm. I entered my 20s in jail, and it really, my birthday cake was a honey bun and a Butterfinger. It really. (laughs) (laughs) So let let me ask you, what, how did you get out of jail? Yeah, so I ended up spending seven nights in jail, and one of my friends finally bailed me out, and I'm still in my addiction. So the first thing I went and did is I went and got stoned because I got to forget about these problems. And my friends had had enough of me and they kicked me out. So I'm now homeless in Florida and have nowhere to go. I can't go back to my house because my parents had kicked me out. My friends, they've had enough of me. And I went to Macon, Georgia to visit one of my closest friends. I ended up kind of getting lost and not knowing where I was going, which led to me just like wandering around the city all day, just strung out on drugs, not knowing what I was doing. And it got dark. It was really late. And I was finally willing to ask somebody for help, which I hadn't done all day. And I I walk up onto this, this group and I ended up getting jumped and had a brick repeatedly smashed into the back of my head. Mm. And, and during this, he's picking this. This guy is picking me up from behind and throwing me on the cement, trying to throw me on my neck to break my neck and kill me. And the thought goes through my mind: Do not get knocked unconscious. If I get knocked unconscious, I knew I was going to be dead. And every cell in my body is just going: Don't get knocked unconscious. Don't get knocked unconscious. Don't get knocked unconscious. And finally, I had some money in my back pocket, so I throw the money. He goes for the money. I was able to run off, and. I got blood pouring down my head. My left arm from the elbow down is in excruciating pain. I'm barefoot now, and I'm just running. I've lost my backpack. I ended up spending the night in the hospital, 10 stitches in the back of my head, broken left wrist. And you would assume spending my 20th birthday in jail and the week later almost getting beaten to death, I would be ready to change. But I'm like, I'm still in that full-blown addiction, and, and my story was... I can keep going this way and I'll figure it out. 
I'll figure out something else. I'll, I'll make it through. And I ended up going back to Florida, spending a couple nights on the beach. And in, in my new book, The Connection Effect, the opening scene is back to that epiphany that I had was, ironically enough, sitting at one of the nicest spas in the country of just sitting in the hot tub thinking, I just spent my 20th birthday in jail. I just almost got beaten to death. I can continue down this path of addiction, which at the time I knew it would land me back in jail or I would die. I just couldn't take it or I could get sober. And I was finally at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom and went back to my parents' house, asked for help and started putting my life back together. Okay. Wow. That's, that's quite a journey. Um, a couple of questions. You said that you ran into a group and they began to, to, to beat on you and you ended up in the hospital. But, but just before you said that, you said, well, I asked for help and I thought that's not, these, these aren't the people you asked for help. Yeah, no. So I was willing to like ask somebody for directions. Oh, okay. And when and you so, did, and when you did that, they they turned and they mugged you. Yes. Okay. Now the other thing is, I, I like I like to say I was in a. So the saying goes, I was in the wrong neighborhood at the wrong time. But I like to say I was in the right neighborhood at the right time because that instant of getting jumped really helped me to end up changing my story. Like it was such a. I needed such a jarring shake to my reality that that's what it, what I had to do, which, and this is to any of the, the audience members, is how can we learn from somebody else that we don't have to experience that? And that's what I've dedicated the last decade of my life to using my story to help inspire others to make different choices and create different stories. That's wonderful. You just, I must mention this. You may know the book. Do you know the book? why you're dumb, sick, and broke, and how to become smart, happy, and rich? I do not. Or, I'm sorry, smart, healthy, and rich. It's by Randy Gage. You must get it because I'm not going to spoil it for you, but he begins with a story about an experience that you will relate to that resonates with the experience that you described. That's all I'm going to tell you. All right. I'll, uh, I'll check it out, Lewis. And sure. and the message in that book is also coming to terms with how your inner story is creating the events and circumstances that you attract to your life. Now, you also said that you came to this great realization, this epiphany, when you were in a, a really luxurious spa, and I missed... so. How did you end up in this spa uh, yeah, along so, your journey? <laughs> no, so so I was living in, in Naples, Florida at the time and was living a fairly... My friends were kids of very wealthy business people in Naples. So one of, one of my friends had a membership to the spa and I went with him so much that they just thought I was a member. So we got to have free access of... You know, the steam room, the saunas, the hot tubs, the cold plunges. And, you know, so I would go there a couple times a week just to hang out and relax. And so, like, I, that was one of my safe places. Although, um, 
you know, from the, I was a full-blown drug addict, so, like, I shouldn't be hanging out at one of the nicest places in the country yet, and and I think that was part of, of my story and my journey, is if you would have looked at me, you would go, here's this white preppy kid who plays golf, and there's no chance that he's a drug addict, mm-hmm. and that was one of my best assets, is people wouldn't look at me and go, that kid's dealing drugs, which which goes back to the story of, you know, the inner story that I had was I wasn't good enough or I was using the drugs to connect with people or I didn't want to deal with the pain. Yeah, really, dealing with the pain. So now you went back to your parents who had thrown you out and you asked them for help. How did that conversation go? I remember walking in the front door because it was it was unlocked. I just walk in and my parents at this point they hadn't seen me in in 3 weeks. So they were just ecstatic that I was alive. They didn't know where I was. They hadn't heard from me. They knew I was in jail, but that was the extent. And my mom cooked dinner and pretended like everything was okay, which kind of was our our family I don't even want to say motto, but it was I used to say the Joneses had nothing on us. Like there was a time, it was a little bit before the house that I walked in. We were living in a two and a half million dollar mansion. There's four cars in the driveway and my parents were asking me to pay the electric bill. And so just like our family culture was, we're not going to talk about problems and we're just going to ignore them and pretend like, just smile, pretend like everything's okay. And that's really what my experience was when I came and wanted to get sober and it's like where they didn't ask where I was. They didn't really ask a lot of questions. It was, we're just grateful you're alive and here's some food. You look rather skinny, eat. And the first couple of days they were like, okay, you have to go to meetings and you have to do this and you have to do that. And it was just really overpowering and I couldn't take it. So I called up one of my friends. I had $500 left to my name. And I go, hey, if you let me move in with you, I will pay you $500 for the next month. And he goes, sure, you can move in. So I didn't have a car. He like came and picked me. I threw all my stuff in the back of his truck bed and went to his house, which was 30 miles from where I was living. So I knew my friends who were using couldn't get access to me. I felt safe there and really basically just slept and ate for a month as I started to put back my life together because I had done such a, I don't even want to say epic draw, but you know, had done a lot of, of damage to my brain, to my body, just the way that I was thinking. And it created that safe environment to start shifting my story. What, what city was this in? So I moved to Cape Coral, which is, or not Cape Coral, oh man, Golden Gate, which is a little bit east of Naples, Florida. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Now, this is fascinating stuff, but what's going to be even, I would say more, but really valuable for the listeners to hear is when you're in that situation and you've made a decision that's great but what steps actually enabled you to start to climb out of the uh, the pit really great question lewis i mean the first the first step is realizing that i had a problem was that moment 
at the spa where I'm just, I can't keep doing this. Like I need to, this has really got out of hand and I need to change. And so that was the first step was the realization. And the second step was me being able to ask for help, which I had conditioned myself as a male. I can't ask for help. Like I got to figure this out on my own. I'm smart enough. And just asking for help is, I believe, one of the most empowering things that we can do. And so that was step number two. Step number three was drastically changing my environment. I couldn't hang out with the same people and be around the same people and do different things. And that's the friend that I went to. He wasn't in the crowd of group, the the friends that I was. He was a couple years older than me, and it just really shifted shifted that and addiction in this country is such a and in Canada such a massive problem and this is where a lot of my research and I know you interviewed Lori Lowe she's another addiction professional of so many times we're asking the question is why the addiction when the question we should be asking is why the pain mm-hmm which is and, uh, that's that's Gabor Mate. Gabor Mate right. in Vancouver, which who's absolutely brilliant, and then not in the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety; it's connection. Ah, love. And that. this is and this is where looking at my story of my addiction of so many of those years, I was using drugs to connect with people. And to, and to be able to have connections with people because I felt different. I felt that I was different, part of being an immigrant in the U.S. Like I always had layers of, of feeling different. And when I used drugs and substances, those differences disappeared. And this is where a lot of my work and focus now has been on connection and helping people to connect. And connecting with what is important because when we when we do that, we're we're not gonna be in these addictions and when we can connect with ourselves, which is all about the story that we tell and how we connect with ourselves, it's how we show up in the world, which is the next evolution I see for humanity is the ability to, to connect. Mm-hmm. I agree with that wholeheartedly. So now that you were beginning to make these changes, where you are today is that you've achieved success and an entrepreneurial career. Can you give us some of the key steps that took you from being broke, living with someone else, to to this? Sure. The one over the last, I'd say... Well, I've been sober now for eight years. Like there was, I was still drinking a little bit after I got clean. But so, a couple of the things that have been so vital in my life, which it, it all spend, spawns from that decision I made not to use substance and drugs. So everything is is become of my sobriety. But a book that I read six years ago that's really shifted the course of my life is called The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson, which the concept is the small things that you do every single day compounded annually, which will change your life. And so for me, it's 
I still spend two to three hours every single day working on my recovery, which that looks like meditation, exercise, eating clean, personal development, reading, all these things that somebody who's in self-development is going to be doing, but I just consider that my recovery. And for this last book is, okay, I'm going to work on it three hours a day. And if I'm doing something towards that goal every single day, I'm going to be able to accomplish. And it's a perfect example is, is fitness. I was just at the gym yesterday running into, I ran into somebody that I know and we were talking about this exact concept. He goes, yeah, if I had just walked or done 10 push-ups a day or done 15 minutes of exercise, I would not be overweight now, but I've put in the principle now and this is how I look at fitness and I'm doing those small things every single day that start to shift things. Mm-hmm. Couple of, uh, I assume you've also read The Miracle Morning. By Hal Elrond? Yep, Hal Elrond, yeah. Miracle, yeah, I've known Hal for four years now. Yeah, he's a great Good guy, book. great guy. And uh, that book is, well, you were describing you have your morning ritual. You know what struck me? It's interesting. At the beginning you talked about the very positive influence your father had on you. And I'm we're not gonna I'm not gonna try to negate that. He did have a positive influence, but later you said, Well, I go home and my family's MO was to be to act as if everything was okay when it wasn't. Well isn't that exactly what you were doing when you were medicating yourself with drugs? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And I would I would say the more the family like pretending like everything was okay was more a trait from my mom than my dad. Mm-hmm. But it was a lot easier to not talk about something than to talk about. And that's something in my life now of in regards to my mentors and the people in my life is let's talk about stuff right away so then it doesn't fester and become this massive overarching thing that you know, I say the wrong thing and, and the situation blows up. And yeah, it was it was just really interesting to to see how the family dynamic in my in my dad changed over over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and I think that goes back to a lot of your work and in, in storytelling is if we're not changing the story and evolving the story, it's gonna be obsolete in five years. Like if we're telling the same story. But yeah, and and we must rec- get to the point where we recognize that if you're not consciously working on the story, your story is unconsciously working on you. And it's shaping you, whether you realize it or not. So you really don't have a choice. Well, you do, but the choice should be, why not control it and make it a great story? Sure. And that and that was a large part of for me of doing my first book and memoir, Eluding Reality, is I wanted to get this story out. I wanted to process this story. I wanted to move through this stuff. I wanted to deal with it in my twenties, so I wasn't fifty or sixty and still dragging around this story, which, you know, wasn't the most empowering thing. No, not at all. Quite destructive. So did you did writing the book was that your ticket into the career that you developed? Yeah. 
so when I came out of treatment and and all that stuff, I I thought to myself, what can I do that will allow me to use my story to impact other young people so they don't have to get kicked out of college, they don't have to get beaten, they don't have to go to jail, they don't have to struggle with all the things, and the solution I came up is, okay, I'm going to write a memoir, and then I'm going to start speaking in high schools, middle schools, universities, and that was my goal at the time. So I, I wrote this book. It ended up taking me four years because I I didn't I didn't have the right mentors. I didn't do the right things, but it you know, and it was part of me dealing with the story and processing it and experiencing it. And so I published it on my twenty fifth birthday and that next week I got a job speaking in schools. And for the next two years spoke in over eighty schools, twenty thousand students and and that's that morphed into now working with entrepreneurs and I do a lot of work with entrepreneurs organization and young presidents organization now all around the world working with entrepreneurs and their families and, and really helping executives connect to the world around them when their business success is, is going up instrumentally so they don't destroy their personal lives. Cause that's something that I've seen so many time and times again of, they just focus on on the business, and then their their personal lives become destroyed, and they become so disconnected. And that's really my focus now is is helping these people connect with what's around them. Fabulous. Did you actually invest in formal personal personal development on your journey? Courses and things. I like that. I, I don't even want to put like a monetary. <laughs> number on it but it's it's uh in the tens of thousands of dollars for sure and they were some of the best investment not some the best investments i've ever made and you know i'm i'm consistently doing programs or i'm in a year-long mastermind now and I'm always looking and studying and reading books and just really that personal development is such a massive area of my life and it's it's one of the most important things that I do now for sure. Well, uh you're definitely talking to someone who uh is as passionate about it as you are. My journey formally began in 2006 and I've Probably invested upwards of about one hundred and fifty thousand. And thing is that you may find this too that every dollar you put into it comes back two, three, five, even tenfold. Yeah, the and one and one of the one of the things that I found is we can make all these investments, but it's all about taking action and actually implementing. And it's what what I struggle with is staying on the sidelines sometimes of investing in this and like, oh, there's that next course or that next conference or that next thing. And, you know, whether you read How to Win Friends and Influence People written in, in like 1930-something or, you know, uh, I'm totally drawn a blank, Think and Grow Rich from... Uh, no, I'm totally Dale, Napoleon, Dale, Napoleon, Dale Carnegie. No, no, Napoleon, Napoleon Hill. Napoleon Hill. Yeah. Like, the stuff today is very similar to that. 
Well, let's take it back a little further. How about the Bible? I mean, you know, those... There is nothing new under the sun. The reason that the personal development movement is important is that it will present it in a frame that people can relate to and perhaps see it and hear it for the first time. Yep. No, you know? I, I 100% agree with with that, Lewis. And, and one of the main concepts of my life is how do I simplify? How do I go back mm. to the basics? Ah, then, then you should get the book called The One Thing. One Thing. I got it on my uh, shelf by <laughs> Stephen Potler and uh, the real estate broker. There you go. The One Thing. So, what I mean, oh, so uh, of the personal development people that you studied with, does anybody stand out as uh, most influential for you? The one that most people so I have I have a spiritual mentor who lives lives in Portugal. His name is Gregory Reese Smith. He's been so instrumental in my life over the last four years, and one just really getting me to think about things differently and you know, really deepening that that relationship and connection with myself. And the and the second one is a guy by the name of Jesse Itzler. Is that name ringing a bell? No, it's not. So so Jesse has started a couple of companies. One was Marquee Jets, which was the largest fractional jet ownership company on the planet, which sold to Berkshire Hathaway. And another company was Zico Coconut Water, which he sold to Coca-Cola. And he has done some amazing fitness accomplishments, ran over 100 miles. He ended up falling in love and marrying a one of the most successful female entrepreneurs on the planet, Sarah Blakely, who runs Spanx, and they have four kids and just like super involved family dad, family man and husband. And so I've I've done a lot of work and become friends with him over the last couple of years and love the way that he tackles life and he's all about building your life resume instead of a work resume and creating creating experiences right like you've you've gone to the the retreats and the experiences lewis which you have you learn more in two days at an intensive conference than most people learn in in two years oh yeah i mean the first one in 2006 was five days that totally changed the direction of my life so yep yeah, and how do we how do we create these experiences in our lives which are going to get us out of the comfort zone? They're going to have us in new people. They're going to have us breaking boundaries and really thinking completely different about everything that we do. And that's one of the one of the ways that that I live my life. And and it doesn't have to they don't have to be expensive experiences. It might be you take your family in a picnic at a park on Saturday afternoon and you guys pack a lunch and you leave devices at home and you spend 2 hours throwing the frisbee and having fun in the sun. Mhm. Mhm. Wonderful. Because we you're right about implementation. Can you offer three important things that someone who is self-destructive can do immediately to start turning things around. 
Man, three things right immediately. Number one, man, this is a great question, Lewis. I'm probably going to just tell you one, two, three, and then I'll want to change it in in an hour. (laughs) Number number one is, is really asking for help. And, and sharing what's really going on in your experience, whether it's a friend, whether it's a professional, whether it's going to some kind of, of meeting, but the, really the ability to ask for help is, is number one. Number two, I think is so vital is changing your environment because every talk I've ever given at a rehab center, I go, the real work begins when you guys graduate from here and you walk out and you go back into your old lives and you try to not use drugs and alcohol. Like, And you're hanging out with the same people that are calling you on Friday, Saturday and making a different decision. So changing your environment. And I would say, and this is an interesting number three, it's really minimizing and drastically reducing technology and screen time that is what I've seen time and time again. People are just caught up in the social media world of comparing their lives to everyone else, and it's a very destructive behavior, which can be can be a very positive technology in social media is a very positive thing, like as we're having this conversation over Skype, which the technology is amazing. and But when people are in that destructive cycle of, Technology just really, what I found is keeps them in that loop. It keeps them thinking in those same those same patterns. Those are three really, really powerful tips. And regarding environment, uh, do you know the personal development thought leader David T. S. Wood? No, that's not familiar. Uh, ask your friend Susan Sly about him. Uh, she knows him very, very well. He's been influential in my life, and I love he has this saying, environment is stronger than willpower. Sure. And always, he said it'll always trump willpower. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, if we're, if we want to lose weight and we're sitting in McDonald's every single day, it's going to be very difficult versus sitting in a vegan restaurant. Uh-huh. Yeah, I agree. So you began to hit on something uh, related to my next question. What are the biggest challenges to self-realization in our digital age? That cell phone, that smartphone in your pocket. And I... Oh man, we're just we just are are so connected. When was the last time one of your listeners or you went an hour without your cell phone? Well, to tell you the truth, although you will never see me walking on the street looking at my phone. I just don't do it. And even though it may be physically on my person, so I may not be the typical person. Sure. I don't I don't look at it often. I really don't. But I I agree that many many people do. But but even having it on us it creates like a safety safety net, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I I can reach out to that person or I can do that or I am reachable or I am and it it just the way the mind is is such an interesting aspect, right? And 
so the technology is it's an amazing asset yet it's also it's something that a lot of humans use to not deal with what's going on in the world like it's so much easier for me to jump on my phone and check my email or check facebook or check instagram versus checking in and seeing what i'm feeling or feeling what i'm feeling actually of hey i feel unsecure at this moment or i feel happier i feel anxious or it's a, it's a way of really numbing down our feelings and so one of the the practices that I have employed in my life is I do something called silent Sunday mm-hmm. where yesterday I did not turn my phone on. I do not use my computer. I do not even listen to the radio or podcast or anything. I just like tune off all, all technology. It's off. It's silent Sunday. And I, you know, hang out with my girlfriend or I go for a walk or I read a book or I clean out that closet that I've wanted to do for three years, but I've delayed because it's easier to jump on Facebook and really minimize that noise. And what I found, it usually feels like three days. Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. so much more time and I'm able to accomplish so much more than when I have my phone on or I'm trying to check this or I'm not as as mindful or productive with my time. And, and I recently downloaded an app on my iPhone called Moment, which tracks how much I'm using my phone and which applications I'm using and how much time. And I'm between like two and three hours a day of screen time on my cell phone, which doesn't include my laptop. And I'm like, this is this is awful. Like I need to minimize this. And you know, some of it is work and a decent amount of it's work, but it's still that, that time where it brought a really into my awareness of just how much time we are. I don't want, we can almost say wasting our lives just kind of like in that, in the newsfeed, in the fodder. And that goes back to personal development, right? Is, so many people go, I don't have 15 minutes a day to exercise or I don't have 15 minutes a day to meditate is, no, we all have 24 hours in a day and we all get the same amount of time. It's how you're choosing to use it. I'm pretty sure we could take out 15 minutes of your social media time to create that, but it goes back to priorities. What's the priority? Yep, I love it. Tell us about your book, The Connection Effect. Yeah, so The Connection Effect is an entrepreneur's playbook to unlocking the present moment. It is, it's been an amazing project, but really focuses on helping people get into the present moment using relationships. There's a chapter on digital distraction. There's a chapter on the mind, uh, the stories that we tell ourselves, and really it's just it's a very simple playbook to these these principles that we talked about today of how to what is important in my life how do i how do i connect with it how do i reframe the way that that i'm thinking about the world and i assume that it is available easily on amazon yeah, amazon or barnes and noble or you know any any of the online places can can easily get it and it's um yeah it's been 
it was it was definitely a fun fun project but the the main thing was deconstructing my life and what's gone on and really working with professionals and mentors and coaches and connecting the dots right like i believe disconnection is the root of all human suffering and this is where i wrote a book called the connection effect of how do we connect to the world around us and when you're out for a date with your spouse are you checking your phone or did you leave the phone in the car for an hour and it's just one text or it's just one notification and human psychology is so fascinating but if i'm in a one-on-one meeting with you and you check your phone i'm in that instant thinking well that phone is more important than me i'm not that important yeah and you're right whether uh i if i'm doing that whether i admit it or not you're right i've made that i've broken the connection and i've gone to focus on something else yeah, and, and this is, there's, there's, I'll say hacks, but strategies in the book, like one of my strategies, I don't get notifications from my app. I don't get push email. I don't have Instagram every time somebody likes or Facebook every time somebody likes or, and I, I leave my phone on do not disturb 90% of the day. And so when I'm in a meeting and my phone is sitting in my pocket, I'm not it's not vibrating when a text message comes in or an email comes in or a notification, which even if I don't go to grab my phone, my attention is leaving that conversation and going to my phone thinking, who just texted me? Who just emailed me? Who just called me? And I'm, I, I'm not one to multitask. Some people claim to be able to multitask, but it's, I want to be 100% focused on what I'm doing at that moment. It's it's great. It, it's this is life changing. By the way, you you also have at least the short chapter emphasizing the great importance of watching cat videos for at least one hour a day. Three hours, preferably. Ah, I'm glad. I'm glad you're with me on that. <laughs> no, and and, and so with that being said, I think there's a time and a place for it, right? Like I'm not against watching a tv show for 30 minutes if your intention with watching the tv show is to turn off your mind or to watch a movie or hey i have 30 minutes i'm just gonna scroll facebook or watch cat videos and like it's to relax Mm -hmm. and and i think back to the personal development people don't realize how much time is being wasted in these things and then in three years when they're sitting on their couch and they're 20 pounds overweight and they go, okay, now I want to make a choice versus, hey, if I just go on a walk for 30 minutes and watch 30 minutes less of TV, that's going to allow me to be fit at 80 years old. Mm. And it's these, these little, back to the slight edge, these little things that we're doing every single day, which get compounded annually, makes such a big difference. Like, I don't watch TV. That doesn't mean I'm not going to, I don't even have a TV in my my condo now, but uh, there's times where I'll go to a friend's house and we'll watch a movie for two hours because I don't even want like my brain to work. I just want to turn off, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and it's being mindful around that and really checking in with what is important. What am I working towards and and changing around those priorities? I agree. Mindfulness is key. Where do you see yourself? In five years. 
Oh man, five years. No, I've 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 thought about this a couple times, and I have some five-year goals. But I would love to be living near a ski resort and playing more golf in the summer. Have a be married, have a family, a couple of kids, doing what I'm super passionate about and being able to work when I choose to because I've created the financial independence that I don't have to work and doing doing some speeches around the world that I'm world's leading thought leader on connection and you know having having fun doing what I'm doing and being able to make an impact is is the five year goal sounds uh, specific and uh, admirable. I'm sure you will achieve it. You told me your favorite book, The Slight Edge. What is your favorite quote? Be the change you wish to see in the world by Gandhi. Mm-hmm. And there's, yeah, that one, I guess, since you are a, a storytelling guy, I was 16 years old in a student leadership uh, for school program, and, and we would meet at six o'clock on Wednesday mornings once a month, and we were going over what do we want our shirts to be, and we had this book of quotes, and we're kind of flipping through it, and I landed on that quote. I go, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing quote I've ever heard. Be the change you wish to see in the world, and we ended up picking that quote for, to go on the shirts, and ever since being 16, I've always had that quote just stuck in my head of be the change you wish to see in the world, which there's chunks of my life where I got very sidetracked and didn't think of this quote, but always wanting to go back to what is, how do I want to show up in the world and how am I able to, to be that and ultimately rise the vibration on the planet by just being that like, I don't have to, I don't have to change the world. I just have to change myself. Hmm. You have a practice, right? A coaching practice? Correct. Who is your ideal client? Yeah, so I work with very successful entrepreneurs and executives who have tremendous business success but usually are faltering or having some kind of, of problem in their personal lives. Is has been the, the primary focus of who I work with and helping them shine light on in those problems in their personal lives and create the strategies to, to shift and change. And how can people contact you if they wish to find out yep. more? Yeah, so the easiest is my website, which is gordybufton.com, G-O-R-D-I-E-B-U-F-T-O-N.com, and my email is just gb at gordybufton.com, and... Yeah, that's that's the easiest way of getting in contact. If you listen to this podcast and, and send me a note, happy to send the chapter from the Connection Effect on digital disconnection, which is is a very uh, passionate topic of mine. Just as we we're we're such in this connected world with technology, yet I find we're we're so disconnected. Mm. If you could wave a magic wand, Gordy, and just change one thing in the world, what would it be? Great question. The I want to there's a couple of different ways of, of wording this, but 
the way that we think about ourselves. And I would I would say we're usually our own harshest critic and and to be gentler and softer on ourselves and and if we if we change that we're we're going to change addiction, we're going to change mental illness, we're going to change so many of of the sufferings of of humanity if we can just change the way that we interact and communicate with ourselves. Well, I certainly can't disagree with that. That's the topic of my show. <laughs> Any final thoughts? Final thoughts. I, I want to, and this is something that I've incorporated in my in my life over the the last, we'll say, couple of years. Of like, there's so much information out there. Of how do we? How do we like pick one book and read that same book for a year and really incorporate it? And how do we how do we take listening to this podcast and like just pick one thing and implement instead of going on to the next podcast and like looking for that next thing of really just taking one thing and you know the challenge that I would have for the listeners is is go one hour without your cell phone or two hours or three hours or you know if you want to be crazy like me go a whole day without your cell phone and just notice how much different you feel and how much more mindful and how you show up in the world of it it doesn't like go back to that simplistic way of life the way of being this has really been uh, enjoyable for me and very valuable i'm sure for our storytellers i can't thank you enough Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lewis. And uh, yeah, keep keep inspiring people to tell different stories. I know changing my story has has changed my life. And I, you know, growing up, I never would have thought I would have become a drug addict. I never thought I would be a lot of the places that I described on the show. But you know, when I was able to change my story and change who I was around and change the information which was going into my my brain, I was able to change everything. And that's that's the thing. It's doing those small things every day. And, you know, I'm now 30. Like, what am I going to look like at 40 or 35 or 45 or 50 when I keep working on myself and keep investing in my personal development? Well, thank you again. And uh, absolutely, I will continue to do this, especially because I'm sure there are many other um, evolved people like yourself to inspire me and to help others to transform as well and thank you once again storytellers for spending time today with me and gordy bufton what i love about people like gordy is their ability to like a phoenix to rise from the ashes pay this forward inspire others let them know that they can hear this on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. And always remember that you have a free gift waiting for you at that site the downloadable free ebook that I have created for you Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. So, if for any reason you haven't already taken advantage of it, go there now and grab your copy. Gordy, like 
all people who are growing and reaching for their higher self is a reader. Remember, readers are leaders. And also remember that our sponsor is Audible. They're offering you, our storytellers, a free downloadable audio book of your choice and you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. The main thing that stands out for me about my conversation with Gordy today is the important reminder that no matter how dark life gets, no matter how lost a person can feel, there is always hope, there is always the seed for transformation and for completely changing the scenario from a a very, very painful one to one of joy, of joy. During the next week, take a really honest look at yourself. And if there's any area of your life that you don't like to think about, that causes you pain, if you feel stuck anywhere and you don't see a way to change, think of Gordy and realize that all you need to do is trust and make a decision that you will change and then take the first step in the direction of that change and continue to move forward. To help you transform, ask yourself, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.